everybody, Suxidu here, and welcome to the Fit Founders Podcast. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, Mr. Steve McGraw. Hi, Steve. Yes, mate. I say that to all your guests, don't you? <laughs> yeah, we are extra special, mate. <laughs> we've, we've got history. We do have history. Uh, thanks for joining me, mate. How are you? How's life in sunny Cheshire? You know what? It is actually sunny, other than the fact that it's just snowed, where... You know, like snow in like Christmas is actually quite nice. And then as soon as it gets away from the Christmas period, snow is like just the worst thing ever. It's just an inconvenience now. You've got kids, haven't you? So it's different where you've got a kid and a dog, which is essentially like a child. But it's a bit different when you've got kids because they get all excited about going out and playing in the snow. Whereas like when you're an adult, just car crashes and over. Yeah, but the thing is, I feel like it's been like 10, 15 years since there's been a decent snow, like to actually enjoy. Yeah. If you know what I mean? Anyway. Just the inconvenient talking. part, the inconvenient death that ruins everyone's eyes, but not enough to go yeah. sledging or building a snowman. Exactly. Exactly. We just need a little bit more. Um, not that I experience or will ever experience that out here. Um, cool. Oh, so. You know what I like <laughs> yeah. over there? About four seasons in a couple of years. Yeah. Um, so, Steve, we're going to talk about your your career, what you're up to today, um, and some spicy opinions that I think we probably probably both agree on. Um, but you're definitely more outspoken than I am nowadays. Um, talk, talking about money and, and a few other bits as well. So you've done really well. We'll talk about all that. But as a starting point, do you want to just give people a, a really quick rundown of how you ended up in the industry? Um. I mean, I guess I've always been in the industry, to be honest with you. Um, I worked as a lifeguard when I left school. Got my gym instructors. I think it's fitness instructor technically qualification. Um, so I taught legs, bums and tums at Bellevue Leisure Centre before it was before it was the National Basketball Centre of Excellence. It was a shithole of a leisure centre. Um, so I did that all the way through uni. Um, worked at Virgin Active as well, through uni. Um, somehow got talked into doing a teaching degree at the end of uni. By talked, I mean, they offered me a really nice bursary to go and do a teaching degree. Um, so I did. And, you know, when everyone's like, it's a good job, that. it's a good job, good pension. I'm like, yeah, 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 I guess it is, yeah. So I did it for a little bit and realized the pension was way too far away to be lucrative for me. Um, and I just, I didn't enjoy the role. I, I enjoyed the teaching element of it, like the actual being in the classroom, like doing the lessons and stuff. But there was a, there's a whole other side to the job that like no one ever tells you. Um, and I didn't enjoy it. So I left to be a personal trainer. Um, I was already already qualified from like university and stuff like that. And I'd always done a bit on the side anyway. So like, even when I was teaching, I was still doing a couple of hours in the morning. So it's a fairly straightforward transition, to be fair. It's probably the only thing that had been a constant, something that I wanted to do for a long time. Like I did all the, I did all the sciences and maths at A-level. Then I went to uni and did chemistry. Then decided I didn't want to be a chemist, so I did sports science. Then from sports science, I did a physics teaching qualification. So like, it's the only thing that I'd actually done sort of consistently, like throughout my whole educational life that I, I did get bored of. Um, so it was a natural movement there. Um, I was a PT for a bit, well, for a while actually. Then I had an accident, um, ended up with both my patella tendon being replaced by plastic ones, um, which is a head recovery it's um maybe about a year before you're able to walk properly again so i went back to teaching for a little bit 
fortunate surely to get the paycheck because I hadn't worked for a year and I had stuff to pay. Started building the kind of IT stuff back on the side again and then made the move online pretty much as soon as I realized that like, oh, I'd, I'd pack it in the school anymore and it wasn't even worth it in the paycheck. And yeah, then launched my online business that did reasonably well. Um, and then kind of built the coaching. Well, I didn't really build the coaching thing on the side. I started helping out PTs on the side because we were doing well enough for people to start asking me for help. Um, and then made the switch over maybe last year fully. And then, yeah, it's been a bit of a wild year this year, but that's like a whistle stop tour of my whole career, really. Yeah, and we'll, and we'll take some um, longer stops at each stage. I just want to roll it back a little bit. Why why did you decide that you wanted to be a personal trainer? I know common answers are, I want to help people or I want to make lots of money. Like, I personally can't even remember why I wanted to become a personal trainer. What was it that, you know, drove you to that career, that profession? Um, I lived in the gym since I was like 16, like... I, I go back and like see people now that like I used to know like when I was in school and they were like like but to be fair it was like it, all I did I put one so like I started going to the gym I also had like growth at the same time so I went from like five six to five eleven in the space of like two years went from like eight stone to like thirteen stone in the space of two years and then obviously as you grow up as well when you go to college. Like start going out, like meeting new people and stuff like that. And it kind of all balled into one. But obviously for me, I was like, oh, it's because I started going to the gym and it just wasn't. It's just because I grew really and grew up. Um, but that for me was like something that I'd always done. And then it was always just a part of my life. And like, I was clever, like when I was younger, like I was like gifted and talented in school, like won awards for like my GCSEs, which was quite cool. But I went to, because it wasn't known for its GCSEs um, scores. But so like I I did a load of like research on the internet when I went training, like I'd always trained like the powerlifters and stuff like that, who usually are actually like very smart people, like very like numbers based, it's very methodical. So like I got really strong really quickly and then because I got strong quickly, it's like filling out really quickly. I was like, This isn't that hard. Like it's it's well, it's hard, but it's not complicated. I was like, yeah. this is really simple. And then I just see people making like making a real fucking mess of it <laughs> like you know overcomplicating it doing all of this stuff and like again i got into it at like you know that if it fits your macros age when it like really took off you know people were like dieting on youtube eating cereal and people yeah. like oh my that i got shredded eating cereal like what the fuck and that was a complete like cocoa mind pops. All yeah. about cocoa pops, wasn't it? <laughs> people you know like youtube just takes it to that next level it's like i'm gonna get shredded eating mcdonald's for every meal of the day and people were doing it and you're like well, at the time I wasn't, right. I bet his insides fucking hurt. I was just like, well, clearly there's more to this. So like, that's kind of what I got into training doing. It was like, you know, squat bench, deadlift, like powerlifting style stuff, like starting strength and, and that kind of shit. And then I was I still at really well, to be honest with you, but it was more like an if it fits your macros approach. Like, you know, my fitness palette, like just started, but I was doing like, if it fits your macros, like with a pen and a pad at one point, like writing stuff down, like looking at the back of packets and be like, right, I can fit that in. I can fit. It was really obviously like fag packet maths kind of thing. But so when I was doing that, I was like, this is really easy. Like it's like simple, like to understand. I don't know why more people aren't doing it. So like 
even then I had like mates that I was like playing football with or basketball with or like that had just seen like kind of you know what I'd been doing in the gym and how strong I'd got that were asking me to like write on plans and stuff so like even at that point I was kind of doing it without doing it so when people said like oh you know online coaching is like not training people in the gym but like just giving them a plan to follow and like helping them out with it and obviously it's yeah grown a lot different than that now but like so I was doing that from like 17 just without really realizing it so it was just a natural progression like Ooh, might actually be able to get paid to do this because I was doing it anyway and and it kind of just developed from there to be honest with you was the I'm probably testing your memory that now but was there like an entrepreneurial element to it like I want to be a business owner or I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to make money. I want to build something. Or was it just a, a very organic journey? Those... When I was younger, like I was like always trying to flip something or sell something. I remember when CBD first came out and I bought fucking loads of them off some lad that was selling them. <laughs> like, you know, like white label. They were just selling them in like a brown optical glass bottle. So I like got some labels printed and labeled them up and then started selling them on Facebook. Like that actually made a fair bit. I don't know why I got out of that. It was probably... Should have stayed with that one, but that's what I was a bit too, like. Too I early. Like, yeah, I know. Early adopter. Should have got the brand name right and really kind of cemented it. But it was called. What did I call it? The CBD solution. It was called solution. Oh, was, but that was my chemistry brain going. No one else got it. No one else got it. Um, but I was a bit like that. Like, not not like Del Boyish, but like I was always like trying to hustle for something. Um, my dad was, my dad was a ground worker. So he did like roads and pavements and stuff like that. And like, I'd go out and help him like for day and like, I'd get 50 quid and I was like, 50 quid a day, that's sound that. So I was I, like, I, I was always in that mindset. And my dad, like, my dad didn't like run a business in a sense of like having loads of staff and stuff like that. But my dad was the one that like went out and got the contracts for the work and then hired the blokes and bought the materials. So like, yeah, in, in essence, like he, he ran a business um to do with it and he was always you know he was always very similar like he was my dad's always been self-employed or at least like for you know like when you're a worker like you don't work for one particular company it's like agency stuff so like he was always quote unquote self-employed um, and my mum was uh like a teaching assistant funnily enough so like i saw both sides of the coin and i was kind of gravitated towards like the self-employment side of things and what was their reaction to you leaving teaching to go and pursue life as a personal trainer? <laughs> Funnily enough, the exact way you'd expect from those two parents. So, like, my dad was like, fuck it. My, my dad obviously understands the process of, like, you know, if you work in a corporate role, it takes you fucking ages. He's watching, you know, he's watched my mum slave out every single day for the last 30 years, and she's still on, like, less than two grand a month. It's a lot less than two men a month. I just don't want to like out my mum on like how much she makes, but um, it's it's not a big wage for a teaching assistant, and it, it goes up, but like so incrementally that inflation probably outpaces it anyway. Whereas my dad could go and you know, yeah, there's a limit to how much you can do, but if if he had if he had more work, if he got good contracts, there was always like scope to improve faster. Um, and you know, like my, from from where we came from and. and from what my mum and dad like had when when they got married, like I remember my dad telling me that they had like two p literally left when they got married. They got married in a registry office because they couldn't afford a wedding. Um, I was IVF. They spent every single last penny that they had on getting that done. Like they had nothing after that. Um, so like, you know, we were in it. My dad had got us in like a, a very good position from from where we started and kind of, 
that was always like my thought process. This is going to get really morbid now, but my dad's quite old for like a dad. So my dad's 74. I think actually 73. I always have a year on for some reason. So my dad's 73. I'm 31. So when I was younger, like my dad was quite aware of like, he was a bit older of a dad, but he used to always tell me that he was going to die. Like always tell me like, I'm not going to be here when you're older. You're going to have to fend for yourself. Like I'm not going to be able to look after you. So like, I think I always had this mindset that I always had to like go out and graft and do it myself. And that, that led to some pretty poor choices in my early twenties. Um, but it's also led to some good ones as well. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a strong driver though, right? If you get the choices wrong, there's no better time to make poor choices than your early 20s. Yeah, I mean, fucking doing five to 10 probably wouldn't have been a great idea. That <laughs> <laughs> would have quickly fast forwarded into my 30s. Um, but you only do half and then you get out of license, don't you? Exactly. Like... No drama, it's a lesson learned. So that's amazing. Great start to, to you know, life as a business owner, personal trainer. And then you've moved into online officially obviously the, the first steps into personal training was quote unquote online or remote at least anyway um but then you kind of did online properly um so just talk to you about how that went and because you had well, obviously i know some details already but it went pretty well pretty quickly so do you want to talk about that yeah so i'd, I'd always worked in like quite like good gyms not not like quote unquote good but like the people that came to the gyms that I worked with or in were, were like they were transformation based gyms. So people came for a certain result. It wasn't like, you know, when you work in like, like a JD or a pure gym, you've got to kind of take what's there. So like some people will come and be serious. Some people will pay you for an hour of your time to be a therapist. Other people will like, you know, geriatrics who want to like keep the hips moving and stuff like that. We got a very concentrated amount of clients that wanted a very specific thing. Um, so I had a really big portfolio of results by the time I even went online. So I think when I went online, um, first I did like a transformation challenge, for like 50 quid, for like 20 people. Um, and I grafted my bollocks off to be fair, to get those 20 people on for the 50 quid. But, um, yeah, like making a grand off the back of that. I remember I was supposed to go on holiday the week after I paid for my holiday now because I paid for the holiday, but I didn't have no money to actually spend on the holiday. So it was going to be like crisps and ham sandwiches. In the villa to be fair um so like that was the first bit where i was like i'm gonna minute like that's and in my head because i already write plans for people anyway and it's something that i've naturally done for years i'm like i don't even have to really do anything <laughs> all i have to do is send them some plans and check in with them every week which i do with my clients anyway so it, it felt like quote unquote easy money um and then i saw people like doing like one-to-one -one online coaching what you it's not high ticket anymore, but you know what you would think would be high ticket at the time, which is like, you know, 150, 175 quid a month. Um, so because I had a good portfolio, I went in at one five a month um, and sold like 90 day packages at that. Like month one, I made eight grand. And like, I, I, I you know, I'm from a kind of similar background, right? Like I'd never seen eight grand in a bank account before. Like never. So I was like, what the fuck is this thing? Like, it's not, and obviously I, I was, after my knee accident, I didn't work for a year. And then obviously my teaching way kind of kept me afloat. Um, I, I have responsibilities at home as well. Like my dad stopped working. He had like bowel cancer. He had a lot of operations, which mean he couldn't do any manual work anymore. Um, so I had responsibilities at home as well. So like that was pretty much just keeping me afloat. So I had like a 15 grand like hole that I'd need to have for that year where I didn't work and I still had stuff to pay and, you know, still the same responsibilities. 
Um, and within like three months, I paid that off. Bearing in mind, there was one point when I was teaching where I was looking at that debt thinking, I am never, ever, ever going to be able to pay. You know, like a student loan where you're like, that's not getting paid off. Like, I'll pay the interest, but like, that's all going to be a black mark over me. I'm not going to be able to get a house. I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to be able to do that. And anyway, that was, that was a situation I was in. Um, so then within like three months of paying that off and still having my bank account, I was like, all right, there's, there's more to this, like, definitely. Um, so in the first year we did, I forget now, if I'm honest, yeah, um, it was over a hundred, under 150 in some way, you know, when you start doing it and you've got some people that pay you into your bank and then you've got some people that like, I was using world pay and then I moved to Stripe halfway through the year. So some people are like, Oh, fucking make up what he made in his first year. And I'm like, no, I just fucking can't keep track of it all. To be honest with you, I can tell you what was on my tax bill, but I'd have to dig that out as well. Cause that was that long ago. Um, which was absolutely correct, by the way. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, never penny. Um, down to the penny. Um, but yeah, so like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't honestly give you a number, but it was over a hundred, which was like, that was my dad's best ever year before materials. Like, so that was like, you had to pay materials out of that and then pay labor out of that. So like, that was his best ever year. And that's always what I'd like had in my head as like success. Don't know why i think he's just because he said it to me at a young age and i was like oh my god that's a massive amount of money but like that had always been like a, a point in my head where it's like 100 grand a year well you know by the time we were older like we, we didn't have a lot when we were kids and stuff like that but by the time we were like you know 13 14 like we bought a house my dad had like then built onto it because he had the skills too so like we had a nice house mom and my dad both had a car and um, you know we had a holiday every year which like to me was like the definition of success. Like you don't look at like Ferraris and Lambos and stuff like that because you just assume you, you don't think they're really real. Like to be honest with you, like, I'd never seen one in person until I moved there. Well, I've probably seen them abroad and stuff like that, but like you don't see that stuff every day. So like to me, the definition of success was like you have a car, you have a house, you go on holiday every year, and you're not in debt. Yeah. But like to me, that would be it. It wasn't like designer clothes and shit. Like they, they were the things that really saw. And I'm thinking like. Oh my, I just did that year one. Like, and then bearing in mind at this same time, like I was living in my mum's. So I was getting all my cooking done, all my cleaning, my washing. Like, I, I obviously I, I paid them rent, but I always paid them anyway, whether I lived there or not. And um, just because of obviously the situation. So like, I was like, I'd built up a fucking load of money. Like I had a load of cash. Cause I remember speaking about it and you were like, do you have a nicer? I'm like, what's a nicer? And you're like, you put money away. And I'm like, put money away where? <laughs> like, because you've never done anything like that before. Um, so, yeah, the first year was a bit of a wild ride. I think, obviously, we started working together, like, halfway through it. It was after that initial that initial bump. And then I was like, how do I stop this going backwards? And I have no idea what I'm doing from this point onwards. Like, I'm, it was, like, pure hustle mode. And I was, like, full with clients. Um, and then we kind of, you know, Together, I think we grew into a, a quite a successful team. Um, yeah, definitely. Very well. Again, like the num the numbers really escape me because I've always been like, I've always done bits. So like, I've always said, right, we'll do this and then we'll do this and then we'll do this and the numbers add up. But they all go in different fucking payment servers and shit like that. And it's, it's actually pretty difficult to like, if you ask me down to the penny what we earn on like specific years, like, I wouldn't really know. But yeah. That, that's just the way it is. So two things that you mentioned there that I'd love to unpack. First one is maybe a bit of advice. So what do you think it's going to take 
let's say me walking up, I'm on the gym floor, uh, mm -hmm. doing well with clients. And I see you do that in year one online. How do I do that in year one online? You just got to graft it. Like, I, I think you've personally got to graft it. So one thing I had, which was, I think two things that we had, which was accidentally on purpose. I had a good portfolio of a very specific kind of client that wanted a specific kind of result. So like my niche was almost done for me. Like I had like 30, like people with quite decent careers that had families, you know, the typical busy professional shit, but that's what I had yeah. because that's who was going to those gyms and paying that money. So I almost had a done for you niche, like right there in a proven track record. And because I've worked with them for like two, three years previously, I knew all of the problems, I knew all of the issues. And I think obviously my teaching background really helped in that as well, because you learn to identify problems really quickly. Like, right, this is the issue. This is what we need to do to solve it. This is how we check that the issue has been solved. It's very like methodical and questioning. So you learn a lot. You know, you've got to work with kids from all different backgrounds. So you've got to quickly identify like what are the things that they're struggling with and how do you help them fix it? So I think we had that. Like I had a good understanding of the audience. I'd like, I'd identify the key things that they needed. Um, and we got into coaching at the same time as software for coaching was really picking up. And we were a really an early adopter of software. Like I remember, <laughs> I remember going on holiday to Turkey and paying Lewis to put everyone on the software. Um, and I put my feet up for a week, which was a very entrepreneurial position that I just, I was more out of laziness, to be honest. I had the cash and I didn't have the willpower. Um, so we, we got onto software really, really early which then just put us a bit of a step ahead and we learned the software and we used it really well for our clients and we turned it into a package that, you know, at the time it was Google Sheets and a weekly email, which we just blew out of the water completely. Like we were, you know, giving people feedback every day. We were checking people's, you know, at the time it was like, you know, you could check my fitness pal off them every day. We were messaging them every day. So by the time we got to the check-in, people are like, oh, my check-ins are like 50 minutes long. I was like, mine weren't. Mine were like five minutes because I spoke to him every single day up until that point. Like, what else did we need to speak about? I already knew everything that was happening. So then it was just adjustments, updates, and moving them along the timeline of like where they were going to get to. So I think those two things for us like massively gave us a leg up. So we had a better we had a better product, and we really knew our audience really well, which which helped us kind of really narrow it. And then to be honest with you, I just like grafted my back out, like, and this is where like. I'll always back, I know a lot of people have like a bit of, I know it's becoming now a thing now where everyone's like, have more conversations. Like you have to, but you remember like six months ago, everyone was like, don't DM people, don't slide into people DMs, it's sleazy. It's, I've been doing that since day one. Not in a weird way, but I would hammer my inbox day one. I would make sure that I knew everyone that followed me. I'd make sure everyone knew what I did. I'd make sure if I could help them, I would. Like I was always giving them like workouts and you know, little PDFs and stuff like that. And, and we hustled it, to be honest. Like I've, you know, I've done sales calls everywhere. I've done sales calls on holiday. I've done sales calls in airports. I've done sales calls, whatever. Like I'd, I'd make time for it because I knew how important it was to get us steps ahead of everyone else. And then once we had the steps ahead of everyone else and we had the finance more than everyone else, I'd just use it to put distance between us. Um, and, and that's really what happened. I outworked everyone and then I outspent everyone really in the, in those kind of two steps. I love that. There was 
now I've got another thing I wanted to mention to you. So before I do move on, based on what you've just said, um, a few moments ago, you mentioned that kind of fear of losing everything. So that's mm -hmm. why we kind of, we started working together and you, you were worried that, you know, what if, what if this goes away? And we spoke about that later on as well. So even when you were, I don't want to say too much, but doing multiple five figure months, um i think i remember you saying to me then like when does that feeling that is going to go like next month it's going to be gone go away and i was like i don't think it ever really does and that that scarcity for me you know it isn't a, it doesn't hang over me but it can be a driver like two things how do you feel about that and, and is that something you still think about today and, and use you know as a way to drive um yes and no so I don't worry about myself anymore. I worry about my team. I worry about making sure that we've got, so like for now, the way it shifted, I know I've got a skill set to where that even if I had no business and I had nothing tomorrow, I could walk into a business that was struggling and I could jump on lead gen, I could jump on sales and I could make that business money. And I could say, listen, don't fucking pay me, but give me 20% of every extra bit of revenue that I create you. And I know full well that I will never earn less than 10 grand a month for the rest of my life because I've built a particular skill set that I know can make money in anywhere. And you're never going to replace sales in a business ever. And I know I can do that. Um, for me, the difference is my team. So like my team have families, my team have mortgages, my team have aspirations for themselves. And as a business owner, I, you know, I like to think that I don't like talking about other people, so I'm just going to, I think we have an outstanding team, an industry, uh, industry leading team that I don't know about everything else. Like there might be some, you know, it's not a comparison thing. I truly believe that my team is phenomenal. I need to make sure that the, the umbrella that I have for my business is always above what their highest aspirations are. And because they're really talented, a lot of them do have really high aspirations. So like my push now is, I need to make sure that I can create a ceiling high enough to where my guys never touch it. And I have to make sure that I have a, I have a floor that's high enough to where my team never struggle. And now that's kind of, <laughs> that, that just replaces it. So like the fear of myself, it's, I suppose it's similar when you've got kids, right? You just care. They're not like my children, to be fair. Like it's not the comparison I'm making, but I would imagine that's something that I have no experience in. So I'm chatting shit really. But like it becomes less about you and more about them and it becomes more about the thing as a whole rather than about your particular health like your particular situation so like the fears that have gone it's just been replaced by a different kind of driver but i think for me personally i'm in a position now where i don't think i'd ever struggle i mean to be honest with you like i'm i'm, I'm pretty good with saving and investing my money and stuff like that and, you know, I'd be golden. I, I could I could easily just graft out a couple of grand a month and be fine. Yeah. And and I think a, a big takeaway is that that kind of small amount of fear is no bad thing, right? From a, No, not at all. I think it, it has to be there. I think that's why a lot of coaches stall because two things happen. They either don't get a team, so then they keep graphing, they keep graphing, they keep graphing, the tax bill goes up and up and up and up and up and they start thinking, you know, and without a team, there's a limit to how far you can scale. Like you can only get so far before the work gets crushing. And then they get to the point of, do I even fucking want this anymore? Like, yeah. is this really worth it? Am I growing for the fucking sake of it? So I can say I make X amount of money 
oh, so I can beat Y person's revenue. When in reality, it's not really making them happy. Like, whereas when you start, and then the other thing they do is when they grow a team, they grow a team full of agency workers or, or VAs or fiber workers to get it cheap as fuck. And then they don't really care about the team. So then it's still, they still hit that same ceiling of, well, what's the point in this anymore? Do I really need any more? Am I just working myself into the ground for, you know, a pat on the back and a trophy and kind of kudos from my peers? Am I doing this for a real reason? And because, because I've got a team that I truly care about and want to succeed and I want my clients to succeed, that's why I've got the team that I have. It gives you that same driver and motivation that you did for yourself and it continues it moving forward. And like my goal now is to leave the business in a position where that the staff that we're hiring are young, like Reese is 24. That's, you know, it's eight more years than me, right? And the people that we're going to be hiring are going to be continuously younger and younger. And I need to make sure that this business stays, this business can't die with me when I've had enough. It has to be able to stay and provide for the guys that we're giving a career to now. Otherwise, it's, it's a bit fucking pointless. Yeah, I love that. Um, rolling back again, we met, you mentioned DMs a moment ago about how you did that from day one. Um, and I know, as you mentioned, that's something that a lot of people do still struggle with, even though it, it has changed oh, slightly. Yeah. Um, how, so I think there's, there's a couple of questions or maybe a statement for me and then a question. So I feel like the people who do it best, like, like you do, don't see it as it's just never entered your mind. It's a sleazy thing to do. You're just naturally speaking to people, mm. networking, providing value. Whereas the people who struggle with it are so scared of rejection, offending someone, get a negative comment yeah. back that they just don't do it. How would you help someone either reframe it or what would you tell someone who is afraid of DMing and doing cold outreach or any kind of outbound? Yeah. So it's difficult, isn't it? Because the, I think the industry as a whole have, have probably done this a disservice where if you maybe roll the clock back like six, 12 months ago, people were taking real issue with it. And like people that people respected were taking real issue with it. Um, which is obviously then what the perception of it. Like if people keep making jokes about sleazy DMs and sleazy, you know, sleazy sales and this, they wonder why then coaches struggle to, to do the work and struggle to get over that hump. And I think, as an industry, we've almost created a problem that now we need to solve as a collective because we put that in people's heads. I don't think people naturally start with the process of, I don't think I should talk to people because a lot of people go in gyms and the first thing they're told is make sure you know every single member, make sure every single member knows who you are, make sure you know who their family are, make sure you know what job they do. This is no different. What happened was at one point, people got away with playing the algorithm so people got away with posting and putting up stories and reach was that good that they got away without doing it. And then they thought that they, they could do it without doing it. And, they, and then they, they moved away from the thought process of, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't have to talk to people. So why would I, which is fair, but now the platforms reach has started to come back again a little bit and things have got more difficult and talking to people and connecting with people and, and outreaching people is algorithm proof. If you've got a name and an email number, a name and an email address and a phone number, it's the same skill set. If you've got a person in front of you in the gym, if you've got a thousand followers on TikTok, if you've got a thousand followers on LinkedIn, the platform is irrelevant. The skill set is the same, and that for me is like the big thing that people need to be aware of. That it is a skill set that you need to practice. And 
you know, when I first went in the gym and I have to talk to people, I, I didn't know it, you know. So when you first start going out in a nightclub, like, get pissed, get pissed. <laughs> get pissed the first time you do it. Sit down on a Friday night, have a couple of beers, get some Dutch courage and go after it. Because that's how I started when I was 18 and it's done me all right. Um, <laughs> well, I think so, but everyone... <laughs> was that, was um, that advice for going out or advice for doing your first outreach? Oh, it's the same. Well, it's not the same. <laughs> it, the confidence element is... You know, when you, you know when you go to like school discos and all the girls are stood on one side and all the boys are stood on the other side? It's like all the He's coaches the first are stood on one side and all the clients are stood on the other side. So all yeah. coaches engage with each other's content and speak to each other because they don't create this barrier. Coaches don't speak to coaches and coaches go, who the fuck is this dickhead messaging me? They just speak to people. They've created this mental barrier for themselves, which is almost like the, you know, the school disco kind of thing. Like... And then you get cocky twats like me that go and do it. And it was like, fucking dickhead. Like, it's, I think it's a mental shift that people need to make. And I don't think you can make the mental shift without just doing it. I think it's a, it's a practice and it's a comfort and it's a skill. And I think people need to be aware of that it's a skill and it's not a tactic. So therefore, we cannot give you a tactic that will make it work. You have to be good at it. You have to be good at the skill. And give you frameworks and help and sentence structures and cues and thought processes but all of that needs to be you know assimilated by the coach into a conversation and, and we focus so heavily on that where other people don't but that's just because that's the way that i built my businesses and and that's what i believe in and it's meant that no matter what's happened with algorithms with with you know shifts in things we've only ever had one negative month in three years no, you know, COVID, all of it. We've we've only had one negative month, and it was actually February of this year. And it's just because we signed so many people up in January, we didn't we have no one left in February. Um, to be honest, that was a bit of a kick in the bollocks. To be honest, I thought everything that, that's you know when you said, oh, I don't care about things falling apart anymore. That month, I thought things were falling apart. Um, but yeah, it's just I I think it's 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 a mental shift, and if you go into it thinking about it negatively you're going to do it negatively and it's going to come across negatively in the same way as if you go if you go and talk to someone in the street and you expect them to be a knob to you every single inflection in their voice and type of the conversation you're going to run it in your head you think something and then you're not going to do it it's going to it's going to put you off it and i'm not big into like the mental like affirmation kind of shit, but like i think if you are struggling with it it's probably a, a chink in your armor that you need to solve yeah what um maybe two or three bits of advice would you give to someone who's maybe listening to this and thinking okay i'm going to do it uh two or three bits of advice for acquiring that skill or key elements going with a drink would be point one like again the analogy going with something to give them like think of a resource that will really help your audience this is what we do with people that are really like oh my god these people are going to think i'm a twat these people are going to think I'm salesy. We say, right, well, make something, make a peace offering. Okay. Give them some value and they're going to get something from you. They're going to, people are reciprocal, right? So like, if you go in and you do something nice for someone and give them something helpful, they're going to be nice for you back. Um, number two is accept that some people are dickheads. Um, so cut conversations. We have like three things. Do they respond? Are they warm to respond? Do, do they actually engage the conversation? If we're getting one word answers, we ask one word questions and then see if we can tease it out a little bit more. People are shutting the door in our face every second. We don't carry on. Like, hey, great. You sound like you're really busy. Don't want to bother you. 
you need any help, let us know. And we'll exit. Yeah. Um, and also, the third thing is, like, remember, you know, you, you are going to get some shitty comments. People are going to be twats, but, like, some people are having really terrible times. <laughs> and it's easy to take it out on strangers on the internet. So, like, again, just try and not worry about it as much. Um, but I think those three, so once you can basically get over the worst case scenario, if you can get over the worst case scenario, everything else is an upside. So like, accept that somebody's going to call you a twat, accept that people are going to be really short and blunt with you and think you're just trying to sell them something. Um, go post some stuff on TikTok for a couple of weeks and then come back. And if you post on TikTok for a couple of weeks, you'll get some very colorful comments and that'll probably do the worst. I'll run an ad for seven days, run an ad for seven days, take the worst of it on the chin and then come back and then there's nothing else that can really happen. We did have a client once where he messaged the girl and someone's boyfriend messaged him. Um, that was a very isolated incident. Again, just have an answer for that. That And again, that was the worst. That's the worst that, that's ever happened. And it's still just a message, just some yeah. words in Instagram. Yeah, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool, I love that. So we spoke a lot about, you know, advice that, you know, you're, you're giving to other trainers and coaches and, and the stuff that you and your team do, but we haven't actually introduced what it is you're up to today. So as in, you know, what, what you're running and what the business is. So if you want to just give a, a few sentences about what collective coaching is and, and what you offer size of the team and, and where the business is at today. Yeah. So, um, so we have, obviously I run collective coaching Um we have two main programs for coaches. We have kickstart, which is kind of zero to, 5k recurring so if, if you know like if your recurring rev gets up to 5k and you hold it there for a couple of months like we say that you're done you need to move on um, and then our ceo program is from 5k recurring upwards to we have some people doing 50 60k a month now obviously it's like a pyramid right like we have less people making loads of money and then more people making less um but that's kind of where that starts and where that finishes um so one-to-one -one coaching program we focus specifically on people building singularly online businesses um and we work with people um that are building one-to-one -one coaching businesses um so it's higher ticket again high ticket is what do you call high ticket um but it's we say we say premium because it causes less people to get the back up um, <laughs> really that's the only reason um but it's yes yeah, it's, it's kind of for online coaching it's high ticket it's probably still less than personal training but it's that one-to-one -one, high touch high service um online coaching um, and we do that with direct marketing techniques really like content conversations sales calls and everything is built around that even at the top end um it's still built around those same pillars of posting engaging content creating conversations at scale um and then turning those into calls and making sales and then delivering a coaching program we assume that most people know how to coach when they come in so it is more of a business program than it is like a, a coaching program um we have a team of 15 now um that's including back end and front end um so at the moment we have five one-to-one -one coaches and then we have five executive coaches who oversee content operations sales lead generation program design setup and clients um and that's kind of the and very like short brief variation of where it runs um, we've got 200 clients. We started last year, so it's fairly hectic growth. 
Um, Amazing growth. Yeah, I mean, so even I, I, I don't know whether I want to kind of talk about numbers because everyone gets fucking naked in the twist like, but we will book 150 calls this month for our service. Love that. And, you know, if, if any of you are wondering what kind of results Steve's um, program gets for their clients, you can check out his Instagram. There's uh, some amazing results on there. And um, what I wanted to talk to you about is a lot of the results, a lot of the what you show in terms of results are numbers, right? Financial numbers. Mm-hmm. And that's something that a lot of people, I don't know if it's a British thing, don't like. Um, but I think it's a British compounded with the fitness industry thing. Of oh, yeah. The fitness in- industry don't like it either. So um, I think we can have a good chat about this because I'm of the opinion that there's absolutely nothing wrong with being financially motivated because being financially motivated probably leads to you being a better coach and getting people better results because that's what's going to improve finances, right? It's like, I don't give a fuck what the motivator is as long as, you know, you do no harm and you're helping people. Um, however, I don't really post much about revenue, my numbers, other people's. Um, you do. So what are your thoughts around being financially motivated, sharing those numbers, not being ashamed of sharing those numbers and, and how they're received by people in the industry? Yeah. A lot of questions so- there. So I come from a background where it is normal to talk about how much money you're making. All right. Um, I don't want to like say that I like fucking grew up in the ends and stuff like that. I've, I've been involved in some stuff that I shouldn't have been, but you know, my mom and dad actually brought me up like really well. However, like where I went to school and where I went to college, I went to college in the middle of June um, and I went to school in the middle of Austin lately. Um, so a lot of my friends that I grew up with, a lot of people that I know, it, it wasn't, it is normal to talk about how much money you make. Everyone's older brother has a fucking Mercedes, nice watches, nice clothes. Obviously, then as you get a bit older, you realize what they're actually doing to get that money. Not, all, not a lot of them are businessmen, or some of them sell washing machines. Um, <laughs> have some bed shop. But it's like, it is normal. It, it is normal where I grew up from. It's normal to want to have nice trainers, want to have nice clothes, want to have a nice watch. And maybe that's because we didn't grow up with it. So it's more of an aspirational thing. You know, I, I didn't grow up in an area where people had Rolexes. If someone had a Rolex, you probably got robbed. Or felt, you know, you assumed that it fell off the back of a truck or it was snide. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's actually normal where I'm from, like for people to say, yeah, I made X bags this week, like I did this, I sold this for this, M- making this much, it, it is normal. For me, like, I I got into a lot of stuff in my 20s because I thought that was the only way I could make money. Because, you know, I'd seen my dad graft his back out for nearly, well, not 30 years, but he'd grafted his back out for, for 30 years. I obviously wasn't 30 at the time, but so he like, you know, most of my early early childhood, he worked away in London, like Monday to Friday. He'd leave Monday morning, he'd come back Friday night, he'd stay in like, you know, like the, the rooms above pubs, like that kind of stuff. So I, I, you know, he had to graft his back out and his best year was a hundred grand before tax. And I, I knew lads that were making like two, three grand a week. Like, and I was like, I was in a situation where my family needed money, I needed money, the teacher might have cut it. Um, and without saying too much, because I'm sure there's a way I can still get in trouble for it. Um, but yeah, so I, I made some choices that I shouldn't have done um, because that was the only way I thought I could make money. I make money quickly. I make money without you know, spending 16 years climbing up a ladder. 
Um, and then sort of when online business like really took off for me, I was like, I wish I'd have known about that you could do something like this way earlier in life. And like when I was teaching, I'd get kids that were like, I'm, I'm, what are you going to do when you grow up? I want to be a drug dealer. Straight up. You think they were joking, but really they weren't. Like they were saying it to me as a joke. Like they were saying it to me to get a laugh. But if that's the first answer out of a kid's mouth because they know it makes money, like there's a problem there. And for me, it's about changing the narrative of like how you can make money. So like people are very, very quick to like point at people. You know, people that do drop shipping, people that do Forex, people that do, um, I've, I forgot all the different ones. Um, online coaching, we're looked at as a scammy industry. Like business coaches is looked at by traditional business owners as absolute fucking sharks that feed off people's like insecurities. And at both ends of spectrum, in every business there is, like, we just need to fly the flag for the top end of it. It's, it's, it's one of those things that every, every industry is going to have a top and bottom. Um, but for me, it was never about hiding it. And I think if the people at the hide it, it, it becomes a narrative of you have to act this way. You have to be this kind of person to make this kind of money in this industry. And then I think it, it leads down the wrong narrative. And I think as, as people that are supposedly supposed to be showing the right way and showing the right way to do it, we have to understand that a lot of people are financially motivated and we will do a better job for the business and do a better job for society by showing people there is a way to earn a ridiculous amount of money by doing things the right way and, and, and following the right paths. So I think for me, you know, if I wouldn't have gone down that road, if I knew there was another option, it wasn't something I took lightly, it, you know, that kind of stuff carries a very heavy toll on it. One of them being in the ground and the other one being locked up. It's, I wouldn't have gone down that route if I knew there was another way or I thought there was another way that I could actually achieve, not by being a, an investment banker or all of this stuff that you had to go to like Oxford and Cambridge or you had to have the right connections. Cause I didn't have any, my dad did pavements and knew I was a teaching assistant. So I think that's one of the things I think a lot of other people maybe came from a very different upbringing and therefore have a very different view of money where people are like, oh, I don't, you know, I'm not going to put the accent on because that's, that's <laughs> I heard but, enough of it. Yeah, I know. Um, but, you know, I, oh, I don't discuss how much money we make or, you know, keeping up with the Jonesy style stuff. I wasn't keeping up with the Joneses. Like a lot of people was keeping alive and like keeping food on people's plates and keeping coats on people's backs and things like that. Like we were never luckily in that position, but I grew up with a lot of people that were. A lot of people that were, you know, brother's clothes, holes in it, falling apart, using a summer jacket in the winter and freezing the backs out because winter coats are fucking expensive. Like, you know, when you, when you, when people are that desperate and when people are in those positions or when people just want to provide for the families, like I wanted to make sure that mom and dad, my dad didn't have to go back to work. My dad was going to go back to work and as the delivery driver with a cloth in my bag at one point. And that to me, I was like, no, no that's not yeah. happening at all. And when you put in those situations, if you don't know other ways of doing it, then we wonder why we've got a problem with things like that in society. And that's why. Yeah, I love that. I love that frame. It's, it's yeah. almost a duty and making people aware, like, hey, this, this is the, these are the possibilities, these are opportunities. You don't have to, whether it's crime or whether it's just doing a different job or taking your business down a different path that you don't enjoy. Here's another option, and here are the possibilities. And I definitely do think there's something there in the backgrounds that you and I have 
fairly similar upbringings. Um, and now that you've said that, I, I think that is an imp does impact things um, when you think about the other people who maybe uh, are offended. By and that's what, you know what, like I used, so like I've changed a lot maybe in the last kind of six to eight months of like the way I act with other people. My opinions haven't changed at all, but the way, the way I, it's not their fault. And like, you know what, like good for them, like good for them that they don't know like what it's actually like. Like, I'm glad, I'm glad that everyone's had to make those choices. I'm glad that, you know, people don't feel the need to show that because they're not aware of what goes on. Like ignorance is bliss for a lot of people. And like, if that's the way that they are, it's because they've never dealt with those situations and it's probably a good thing for them. So I try and not crucify people for it. I don't use my background as a martyrdom. I just think it's actually give me a much more, you know, I think really resonates more with more PTs because to be honest with you, more PTs come from my background than come from, you know, an affluent background for the most part. You know, as yeah. if you take the demographic of the industry, a lot of PTs get into it because that's what they love. It's the only place that they've ever felt like they've, they've got any kind of thing about them. It's it's something that you learn later in life so they're not punished for the choices that they made as kids. Like, if you want to be a banker, you're not on track to be a banker at the age of 14. You're not being a banker. Like, if you want to be a doctor, if you fuck up your GCSEs because you're a little fucking miscreant, you're not getting to be a doctor. If you want to be a scientist, if you want to be a lawyer, you fuck up between the ages of 11 and 16, you're done. You're finished. I dropped one grade in my AS level maths because I passed my maths GCSE early. And because I was a kid in a school where if you didn't have something to do, you generally got up to fucking nonsense. We did fuck all for the last year of maths because we got a supply teacher because we'd already passed and I did jack shit. And I got a C in my first ASL maths and it dropped me out of both of my two first options for university. And that's, that's how cutthroat it is in education at that level. Now, yeah. personal training and, and being a business owner online is none of that. And I've got lads that I went to school with that were way, way less clever than me. Like it's like, you know, on the GCSE spectrum, like not mentally, cause I don't know. Right. One of them runs Supercarship company that you and Steve probably know. Um, from based in Cheshire, where he was married yeah. cars and all of those ones and, and has made a massive love for himself. Um, I was teaching at the same school that H, the rapper, so he went to my school wow. and I, I went back to my school and he was in year nine uh, and when I was teaching there. And again, same thing, like obviously the success he's made of himself and regardless of being a talented musician, he's made some very, very clever business choices that have made him probably one of the foremost like people like that. Um, and again, he could have gone down a path. Like, really, I know other people like from others around the same age that were rappers that are now Forest Bank. So, you know, it's, it's about choices. But I think for me, you know, being a personal trainer and having an online business is something that you can get into later on and you're not punished for your earlier choices. So I think that naturally it lends itself more to people that maybe, you know, didn't, Maybe not even excel in school. I'm not saying there's an intelligence thing at all, but maybe just didn't make the right choices, didn't take the right steps, didn't fulfill the potential that they maybe had when they were younger because of certain things. And, you know, they've now later in life realized that they do have more potential to them and they can do more things for themselves. Um, and I think it just, it, the industry as a whole, I think is more of those people that 
you know, I went to Oxford and became a biomechanist, or I went to Oxford and Cambridge. Yeah, I'm, I'm pulling universities out of my ass here, but like, do you know what I mean? Came from like a highly educated yeah. background. All PTs calling. Most people got into it because it was one thing that they could get good at later in life and they enjoyed it and they've taken it seriously. And, and this is the platform that they've now got. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Cool. Okay, so I'm conscious of time. I've got a few more questions. Um, what advice would you give to an online coach or PT or you, gym owner, who's doing really well, whether that's 20, 30, 40, 50K a month, revenue-wise, whatever, um, and they've got ambitions for six bigger months? Um, let's stick to an online coach, maybe. They want to go from 20, 30K a month to 100K a month. What's your maybe two or three bits of advice or truths that they're going to have to go through? Okay, so you can do this two ways. You can do it low ticket and high ticket. I'm going to talk about high ticket because that's the way that I know and that's the way that I understand. I've never scaled a low ticket business to seven figures, so I can't comment on that. I know people who've done it. It's not my thing, okay? So for high ticket, the first thing you need to make sure is that you're actually high ticket. The worst thing I think you can do is get caught in the middle ground of both because as you get to businesses that size, you start to deal with a lot of margin and, and your margin getting eaten. But you've got that, first of all. Then you've got commission on sales, which by that kind of month, you'll probably need a closer. They're going to want 10%. You probably need to allocate somewhere between 2 and 5% to client gifting, as in like, you know, kickbacks for your clients, rewards, things like that. Um, you've probably got about 1% of that that needs to go to the person generating the leads like manually. So you, you're the generator or you set up and then you've, you've got, <laughs> you've got cost of acquisition, which could be anything from fucking 10% to 50. If you're organic, it's going to be low. Eventually you'll have to go pay at some, in some way, shape or form, even if it's bringing them to the bottom end and nurturing them up like ascension wise, the cost of that, the cost is time <laughs> and less money, more time and your lead generator actually nurturing them. So there's an associated cost. Um, and if your margins aren't like 50%, you know, 40, 50% max, you're going to get to that point that I spoke about earlier. You're like, what's the point of continually scaling the business? I forgot that you've got to pay someone else to coach the clients as well on top of that. So like, this is why when I see coaches, right, like make wrong decisions with a price point and B contracts, they pay people way too much to get started because it's like, all oh, the money's mine. Now I'm going to give some of the money to you. And they're not factoring in these costs that are just about to hit the business's mouth. So I've seen 60, 40 splits for coaches. And I'm thinking, if you give that coach 40% of this client, you're going to make nothing. Like, by the time you end up having all this infrastructure, you're going to make nothing. And then do you really want to go back and renegotiate with a coach that's been getting 40% and give them more like 10? No. So... If the coach wants to be paid X and you want a coach that requires to be paid X, your price point is going to have to be Y in order to figure that out. And getting that right and getting those margins right to scale is one of the reasons why coaches just end up running aground because they run out of margin and think, what's the fucking point? Or they go, I don't have enough money to, to pay a closer. Right, so you're going to do 50 cents cost a week. Cool, All right. Well done. You're not going to do that. I don't have enough money to pay a lead generator. You know, and all of these things come into play. I don't have enough money to pay my VAT. That's the worst one. That's a problem that we're not talking about. We're talking about getting seven figures. But like, yeah, my tax bill's getting on top of me. You don't have enough margin. And it comes down to margin. Um, because then you can't access the things that you need. There's an answer for everything at this level. 
if you if your organic starts running dry, cool, you can run paid. If your paid starts getting really cost, you know, really cost, you run more organic, you must again, and you pull them into a lower ticket and pull them up. You've, there is an answer for everything. It's pretty methodical, to be honest with you. I'm not going to say it's it's easy. It's not. It's difficult, but it's simple, even at these levels. <laughs> the simpleness is destroyed by a few key problems, and that's one of them. The second one is being called for film. You can't run a business if you're stuck in fulfillment. I'm sorry. Like, and you actually can't coach effectively either. Because once you've got a lead gen team, once you've got a sales team, once you've got a content team, once you're doing all this shit, you think you're going to give what your clients what they need. You, you're having a laugh. So, like, I look at my schedule and I'm like, where can I be the most impactful without just patting people on the back for the sake of it? Or without just showing my face for the sake of it? I don't want to build a program based around me being there. If, if everyone needs me every second of the day, my business is going to fail. What I need is to look at where can I come and deliver the most impacts and values to my clients while not having to do the day-to-day -day stuff that someone else could do better than me because they have more time and attention. And I think a lot of coaches' egos don't realize that a coach with absolutely no other responsibilities is a much better coach than them. Even if actually on paper they're a better coach, they're more experienced, they've got more clients results. A, client who's a coach whose only job is to get client results and to run customer service and to deliver an exceptional result for a client will do a much better job than a, a brilliant coach that's 70% in. And that's just, that's just the truth from seeing it over and over again. But I think until you get there, it's it's one of those things. And then the third one is like, pay what people are worth. You gotta pay the piper. If you wanna make 100 grand a month, if you wanna make 200 grand a month, you gotta pay. Like, you, if you want big money coming in, you've gotta get used to at least semi big money going out. Like, let's be honest, right? If you wanna, you wanna build say, a four million pound a year business, at fifty percent margins. You're going to spend two mil. So you're going to see, you know, one hundred and sixty grand going out of your bank account every single month. You've got to get used to it. And I think a lot of coaches start because they start tying it to real world things. Well, that's a house deposit. I'm like, cool, but people people who run four million a year businesses probably don't buy houses two or two times in Blackpool. And that's what you're looking at. Like, yes, you can get that, but there's a cost of entry to all of this stuff. And it's a lot of it's mental. The cost of entry is you taking that gamble and, and letting go of that fear and taking that next step. Um, I know you asked for three, but I think probably those two ones are the, are the main ones. Um, the third one is like probably pick a pick a strategy and run with it. So we run content, message, call, everything we do props up that that part. We don't, and we did this in GRT, which is one of the problems that I think we ended up being. I think we either should have gone fully group and then ascended the, the high ticket out of that and kept the high ticket actually as, a, as not something that we pushed. What we did was we pushed each one, like flip-flopped it. And I think what it did was it like, it just confused the audience a little bit. And because we made them both sound really fucking good on the front end marketing, People are like, well, wow, I'm, I'm confused here. Like, why is this 150 quid? This one's fucking two grand. If this one's amazing and that one's amazing, like, and then we end up selling features and it ends up like getting a bit of a hard sell. Um, and then what it did was we, we kept the price low of the group program because it wasn't our main offer. And then we didn't have the margin in the group program to scale the group program. So it, it kind of all got muddled up. We got to a very good point with it. Don't get me wrong, but like, if I, if I wanted to do, you know, two or three mil in that fitness business, I'd about to rip the back end out of it and, and rebuild it properly. And I think that for me is like 
don't scrabble for like different revenue streams. And I see, I see other coaches do it. I see other business coaches do it. Like they launch a new thing every week. Like, all right, we're doing this now. We're running our fitness business. We've got our group going. We've got this, you know, we've got this program. We've got this program. We've got this program. And I'm like, I mean, I don't see anyone above us doing that. It's only people underneath. And I think, I think it's just a confusion thing. I think it's just a confusion thing. Um, to be honest, I think Cyrus just got his recording equipment for later. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's a confusion thing, to be honest. I think they struggle to see the way forward in what they're currently doing. And instead of asking for help, when you get to like that certain level, I think people find it quite difficult to ask for help, which then becomes, I don't know how to solve this problem. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to try and go around it and use a different path. When in reality, the best way is to, to figure out how to solve the problem and get over it. And I think those are probably the three main issues that people have. Like, they don't think of the margins in the product. Um, and I think they let their personal, like, feelings about business get in the way of, like, the maths. I don't, I don't want to try. Like, I used to be like that. And I said it the other day, like, I've stopped making comments about other businesses above me. Because every time I fucking say something, I get to that level. And then I'm like, makes all the sense now. <laughs> Oh, and I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm personally glad that person did fucking sit me down about this because if they'd explained it the way I've just figured it out, I would have looked like a twat. So like now I don't say nothing because I don't, I don't give attention to people who are trying the same thing to me because I'm going to give them the opportunity to just figure it out for themselves and, and get the opportunity that I got, which was not being roasted online. Um, and then the people above me, I stopped because I'm like, I'll fucking probably figure it out when I get there, what the reason was. And pricing was one of them things up. And, and scaling out of a program was one of those things for me. Like, fucking, that dickhead never does anything. Lazy cunt. He's probably sat there with his feet up. Doesn't even bother, like, doing his sales calls. And now I'm like, I can't fucking do 150 calls a month. Are you mad? And I'm like, oh. I'm got... And so every time now, I've just shut up. Because like, every time I get a thought, I'm like, probably figure that out. Um, so you, it's like the personal stuff. You need to let go of that and like, go with the numbers. Like, is this feasible? Can you scale? If you can't, then you can't do it. And you might as well sort it at source rather than dealing with it later down the line. Yeah, those are my those are my three, four, four trying to get seven figures. There's obviously loads of simple ones earlier on in the day, but I'm assuming they've solved a lot of those issues to get to that point. Yeah, I love that. I think there's a, a lot of takeaways within those points. Okay, are you up for some finishing questions before we yes. go? Yes. What do the next few years look like for you as as a as a business owner and entrepreneur and the business itself? Our goal is to, well, I think we're going to do it this year, to be fair. I Right, so I set long-term goals and then they're always a bit stupid because I always do it way sooner. So now I've only really started doing short and medium-term actual goals and then I just have like an idea of like where I want it to be. Um, I, I think we'll probably be the, the biggest business program in the UK within the next three years. Um, I think the way that we network and, and bring in experts is probably something that's going to allow us to move with shifts in the initiative that are going to happen over the next three years, which I don't think other people are going to have the hunger to deal with personally. There's probably going to be somebody that's hungrier than me that's going to come and like force that issue, which is cool. But like, I think the people that have already made it think when certain shifts happen, like probably the move from Instagram to TikTok is going to be a bit of a shift that's going to happen in the next three years. I think AI is going to be a shift that's going to happen in the next three years. And we obviously spoke about how we've done a lot of stuff on that as well. 
Um, I think the ability to adopt and use that and implement that and move forward with it is going to be a shift. And I think that we've got the appetite still at this point to do that and to do it well. And I think some people that are ahead of us not have the appetite to do it won't make the shift as well as us. And I think it's really going to be the cast of us. I was kind of being, being the top, which won't forever. Um, I think long term, I want us to be cemented as, as like a more of an institution rather than like a, a personal thing to me because I have any intention of selling the business or because I want it to be a system that is always on the cutting edge of what's working right now and teaches basic skills. Like one of the things that, that I did with you as I learned basic business skills, we didn't really do tactics. We did tried and tested. It was more, it was more traditional marketing than it was. This is what's working in the fitness industry right now. It was, this is what I've learned from X businesses and Y mentors that are broader. And I think that that's really where I want us to be. I want us to be a skill-based. This is how you grow a business. I think we will get outside fitness eventually, but it's not in my plans right now, um, at least within the collective coaching kind of brand. Um, but I think it will end up being an online business skills based thing rather than just specifically, this is how you build a fitness business. Cause I think that's always going to move with trends and I think core skills will always be there. I love that. I'm excited to see um, all that. Like I went off what, a no, it's good to hear. Um, what's something that you hate about the industry? I don't, I used to, I used to hate loads of stuff. Um, think that, that, I don't hate anything in the industry. I really don't. I think everyone's trying to do the best for themselves and dealing with their own problems. I think is as I've got further and further. And, and again, I say this like I don't want to mean like I'm I'm up here and everyone like I feel like I've, as I've got further and further up the ladder, I feel like a lot of people have a lot of personal issues and, and now it all makes sense, like what people are dealing with and then how they come across on social media. So like I used to be I used to be very like, oh, why is this guy a dick? And why is this guy like this? And then now I'm just like, listen, people are just people. People act the way that they've been brought up to and they act the way their environment's dictated to them. And a lot of them have, have a, you know, a lot of holes, I think. And I, I feel more sorry for them than anything. Like people that are constantly anxious and paranoid and stressed and angry. And um, I'd more be open to having a talk with them about it than anything because... I'm quite lucky. I'm, I'm sure you're the same, you know, and you're like, you know, you've got a lovely family, like, you know, you, you're not focused on money. Like money isn't the, the, it doesn't make a difference to your lifestyle at the minute. Like, and I, I'm the same, like, I'm very happy. Like I fucking, I wake up with my dog every day, like go for a walk. Like I've got season tickets at United and my nephew, like I have a business that I genuinely fucking turn up to every day and I enjoy it. I work on my days off. I never look at the clock. It's my favorite thing to do, which is like weird. Like it's genuinely like running my business is genuinely my favorite thing to do. Like it took it away from me. I'd have no purpose. Um, and I don't think a lot of people have that. I think a lot of people have holes maybe somewhere in that. And so I don't hate it. I, I, there's nothing I hate about the industry. I think I've just got to continue and try and on this path that I'm on now, especially of like not taking shots and not pointing at people and not shooting people down, but keep doing the right thing and keep pushing it forward and doing it the way that I think is right, whether people agree with it or not, but I'm not going to get caught up in that. I'm not going to answer that. I'm not going to, I'm just going to keep doing it. And you know, the success we have will dictate whether I'm right or not, regardless of people's opinions. 
I love that. What's the biggest mistake you see coaches making when they're trying to build business? Personal. Personal issues. Personal issues and chasing too many different rabbits. Pick one thing, believe in it, back yourself, do it, shut out all distractions. A lot of coaches' issues are, are unfortunately personal. We get, we have 23-year-olds that come in that know no different and kick the fuck out of it because they're just like, cool, I get it, I want to do it, this is the way, I'm gone. It's actually the coaches that have been in the industry for longer that are the hardest clients to deal with because we have to deprogram like all yeah. the, unfortunately, and this is why I don't like taking shots because I know that the, they're a bit wound up and better because they see other people made success of it and they're trying and they put the effort in and they put the time in and they feel like they've not been rewarded for it and it would be very frustrating. Um, and that's why we don't have contract. We, we have contracts for our IP like and, and our intellectual property and sharing and, and keeping you know the stuff that we've made within our program I, I'll, I'll never send a letter to the store about a contract like we just try and do the best we can for people and that's i think the mistake that a lot of coaches make is they just don't they don't look introspectively at themselves and think like is this my opinions that's affecting the way i'm thinking about this i think so personal responsibility i think would be the main thing like are you doing the work are you doing the work effectively are you asking for the help that you need. And I think a lot of them, if you ask them those three questions, there's very few people that answer to those things, yes, that don't end up doing well. But they convince themselves that the answer is yes, even though it's no, and they, they blame other people. Um, and I think if, and again, that's one of the reasons why, why I try and do what I do and the way I do it, because it's trying to show people that, yeah, you know, this person was making this amount of money, been in the industry for this long, and he managed to do this. Like, it's not, it's not a death sentence. But I think that for me, like just the personal work, I think is, is a big thing. We, it's the hardest thing for us, to be honest with you. It's the hardest thing for us to do with because I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a, I'm not a behavioralist. Like we, we do have a psychologist within the program and I was very fucking good one to, to help with these kind of things. But again, you can only help people who want the help, who identify that, yeah, I do have a problem with this actually and I want some help with it. Otherwise, just say, I don't need a fucking psychologist. Saw your fault and you're like, cool, all right. Yeah. But that's why we don't try and fight and we, we don't argue and we don't try and we don't let, let the door hit people. Like I've, I've, we've had a big, big push since Christmas on like negative language within the company, like massive push. Like we don't hear it. Like we don't hear it anymore. Um, not that it was bad beforehand, but you know, like little things that like clicking like, oh yeah, this place fucking doesn't know about himself. Like he needs to of himself. You know, maybe they just don't have it. They're not in the right. He's not got the right mindset for it. We try and remove that language and try and do as much as we can and be positive and try and help them. Um, even stuff like you know, bad lead, or you know, that was a waste of time. We've eliminated as language within the company because we want people to see that everybody's got an opportunity. We just need to find the right thing. And sometimes we can't, but then we take that on us. Like we didn't have the right systems or the right people in here to help that person with that particular problem. I hope that everyone has that light bulb moment sometime at some point. Um, we're not always going to be the people that get that for them, but we need to at least give them the chance. Yeah, I love that. Um, and it's definitely something I've experienced and it's something that we worked on as well. Um, in terms of that, that negative talk, I, you know, the amount of coaches or business owners in the industry that you do hear almost slagging off their own clients, leads, audience is just mental. Um, Okay, let's finish on a positive note. What's something that you love about the industry? <laughs> I, I fucking, I love the whole industry, me. Like, I do. 
Uh, it's given so many people opportunities to do something that they love. You can make a very, very good living in it now. Like, it's, I think we're changing the narrative of the three and done kind of thing. You know, the, you know, the average lifespan of a personal trainer is X. It probably still isn't great, but I feel like there's going to be more and more opportunities to be in the industry. It's so exciting because people are growing very fucking big companies, big companies that are able to give people opportunities where maybe self-employment isn't the right role for them. Um, and I think, you know, if we keep pushing the way that we're pushing and keep building businesses the way that we are, there's, there's going to be room for people to be sales. There's going to be room for people to be lead generators within fitness businesses, room for content directors, coaches, management. There's going to be all this infrastructure. We're so far behind normal business, like what traditional business, that there's all this scope and scaffold. Like we've got people coming through now. We just started working with like a financial advisor and accountant for fitness business, online businesses. So like all these jobs are going to be created around this hub. And I think it's a really exciting time to be in it. It's gone beyond you're either a self-employed personal trainer or you go back to your real job. There's going to be real jobs, real contracts, pays you earn, pensions, all of this shit coming through. Um, and I'm just kind of excited to be in, be in this era of it where it is going to start doing that because I think it's it's really cool. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why I've... I've really train myself to have this positive mindset around the industry because the way that we act now is, is really going to kind of shape the future of where it's going to go I think over the next kind of 10 to 20 years obviously everyone talks about COVID accelerating but I think it's correct like the shift to online business now is not going to go anywhere but once people have seen it seen what it can achieve and, and seen what can be done with remote teams and things like that we're a bit behind America America were probably there three or four years ago like um but you know like America sneezes and the rest of the world catches it a little bit later um, but I, I think it's really exciting and, and I, I do genuinely love it. And I think that, you know, there's a bit from what people, you know, I think there's a really good community within, within the coaching industry. I think you reap from that, what you sow. So like, if you're bitter and you talk bad about the industry all the time, you're going to create a culture of people that are bitter and, and hate the industry. And, and then you're all going to feel together. Like the industry is shit. If you, if you breed a culture that the industry is something positive and that, you know, will be grateful, you know, everyone that kind of wants to be in it. I think you'll create people around you that are like that and you'll feel more positive about it. Yeah, I agree. 100%. And I think here's an exciting time. I actually did an interview with a guy called Aaron McCulloch a couple of days ago. Yeah. Um, and he's, so he's a, the owner of a PT management company. He's got PTs in 417 locations. Wow. So pretty big. Um, and he's a data nerd and he's got all the data and the statistics for the industry. By the end of 2023, there'll be more PTs working in the industry than ever before. And that's despite the fact that the number of PTs shrank by eight years in 2021 due to COVID. So it shrank by eight years in 2021. And then by the end of 2023, it will have progressed 12 years in the space of two years in terms of number of PTs. So if there was a time to build infrastructure, create opportunities and build, like really focus on the business, that time is now because not that it'll ever be saturated, but there's going to be a hell of a lot more competition in the next few years than there has been, than there is right now. And bigger people with greater minds are going to see the opportunity and come in there and, you know, really like, we've seen it. It's not happened well. We've seen people that have come from massive success in other industries try and crack the fitness industry. They do a very poor job of it with the businesses that they've created because they don't understand the industry. But there will be those unicorn people who manage to get it right. 
and they will build huge massive infrastructures that that i think we're going to start seeing in the next few years i think the people yeah. that are right now have probably missed the boat on like the, the industry they've not taken the time to learn the industry as much they tried to plug and play what we're we doing elsewhere somebody will just be like hang on a minute like oh it fits and and you know things will explode from there i think yeah yeah, I agree, mate. Cool. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking to you, mate. If anybody wants to find you, where should they go? Um, it will be at Steve McGrath on Instagram. Um, if you are ob- you're listening to this and you're, you're a larger business owner that wants to work with us on that, you, you know you just message us, right? Um, if you're newer into the industry and you've, you know, you've looked at this and think, right, maybe this is something that I want to have a crack at, um, if you go to collectivecoaching.co, I know that's really annoying. We come, the domain name's 10K and I'm being tight. I should really, I should really put my hand in my pocket. Um, collectivecoaching.co. Um, we have a business builder course on there, um, which is £97. It's £97 because we ring people to see how they're getting on with it and see if we can offer them any help. And we were sick of the amount of people that had downloaded it and we were ringing them, trying to give them extra help and, and they hadn't even started. So we assumed that 97 could mean that you start. That's the reason why that's there. I now I, I I've done a lot of business programs. I think everything everything that you need to get started is in there. There's no barrier to entry to this anymore. Like if you've got a 97 quid, it will walk you through our way of doing things. So like building a, a high ticket offer, being able to you know post content, being able to create conversations and make sales and and build a coaching program. And there's actually done for you coaching programs in there. So like there's a nutrition tracker and check ins and all that stuff. Um, and if you ain't got 97 quid, YouTube, um, if you search Steam McGrath, we've pretty much done everything that you need to get started as well, just slightly less hands-on. So you can get that for free. So they're your options. Amazing. We'll put all the links in show notes, website, and the YouTube video. Steve, it's been a pleasure, mate. Thanks very much. All good.